Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. A loving Father, we come before you and realize we live in a world in which is filled with lies, the father of lies who speaks throughout all things and uses man to be able to uh, proclaim these lies. Lord, that we follow not the lies of the world, not the lies of Satan, but with our whole heart seek to be able to keep your law and your precepts. Lord, let us to be able to delight in your word. Let us find comfort for us when we are afflicted, that it is good for us, that we might be able to learn your law and meditate on it day and night. Lord, that we would find your law is better to us than a thousand pieces of gold or silver. We pray that you would give us comfort this very evening as we find in your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hear now the word of the Lord from Genesis chapter 50, verses 22 to 26. This is God's holy, inerrant, infallible word. Please take heed how you hear. So Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his father's house. Joseph lived 110 years. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation, the children also of Machir, the son of Manasseh, who were counted as Joseph's own. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made his sons of Israel, the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We began August 2nd, 2020 to embark on something that I knew would be a difficult task. Now I'm a very logical person, or so I think I am logical. I know uh, as a goal, as, as a preacher, I want to be able to preach through the whole Bible, God willing. And when we're beginning our evening service back, after a pause, I knew I wanted to be able to preach from an Old Testament book. So where do you turn? You turn as a logical person to the very first book to preach uh, through the Bible. So I started at the very beginning. Genesis 1.1, with a sermon before time. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Throughout this two-year sermon series and 86 sermons, we find ourselves now at the end of this book. Now, most book ends with the main idea that they lived happily ever after. There is at least majority of closure of what has happened. The hero is laid to rest. The evil has been defeated. The conflict that was started in the beginning has now come to an conclusion. However, some books end not with a great final climactic finish. Some actually end with another story to be told. Gone with the Wind by Margaret Mitchell ends, after all, 
tomorrow is another day. Or The Two Towers, the middle book of the Lord of the Rings series by J.R.R. Tolkien, ends with this line. Frodo was alive, but taken by the enemy. There's another story, a conflict that still turns. TV shows do this all the time. They end as the credits roll up on the screen with a, a cliffhanger. Asking the question, will the hero save the day? Will evil win? This is exactly how the book of Genesis ends. The end of this story is yet the beginning of another. And throughout the book of Genesis, we've seen this one promise of God as it begins to unravel, be unfolded before the people of God. That God is going to bring salvation to his people through his people. And even in the midst of troubles and trials and tribulations, there's still the conflict is yet to be resolved. The snake crusher has not yet come. The people of Israel are multiplying, but the promise of Abraham has not yet been fulfilled. And Genesis ends with this climactic cliffhanger and what we see in this passage is the end of Joseph's life his death but yet not the end of the promise so we begin with the life of Joseph the life of Joseph verse 22 begins and Joseph remained in Egypt he and his father's house and Joseph lived 110 years Joseph saw Ephraim's children to the third generation and the children of Machir the son of Manasseh were counted as Joseph's own. Joseph lived 110 years. One commentator said this is the ideal lifespan for those who live in Egypt. They thought this was the perfect number. Now out of those 110 years, 93 of them have been spent in Egypt besides a short little voyage back to Israel, uh, to the land of Canaan to bury his father. And, and Moses paints this picture that Joseph is just like his father, Jacob. At the end of his life, he sees this blessing. Joseph's life has been marked with many hardships. But his latter life, his last days of his life were filled with joy. He gets to see his great-grandchildren. Not only he gets to see his great-grandchildren, but he also gets to adopt his grandchildren from Manasseh. The Hebrew says that they're born on his knee. Now, this is an idiom which has come up several times before, which is not that he was physically born on the knee of Joseph, but it's the process of adoption, that he becomes his own child. And the joys of parenting are found in this blessing, not just merely in, in your children, but also the presence of your children in your, in your house for years to come. And Joseph got to see his children's children. Now the mention here of Machir is interesting. I think it is really one of these times in which it's a plenary, uh, an early comment which is seen in a story to come. The story pops up in Joshua chapter 17 years later. 
the allotment made for the people of Manasseh, Manasseh, and he was the firstborn of Joseph. And Machir, the firstborn of Manasseh, the father of Gilead, were allotted Gilead and Bashan because he was a man of war. Here, this is a mention here of where the origins come from that is useful down in Joshua chapter 17. But we don't only just see the life of Joseph, we also see the death of Joseph. Verse 26, that Joseph died, been 110 years old. This passage begins and ends with this reference to Joseph's life. The first is that he lived 110 years, and the next that he died, being 110 years old. Now, we're not surprised by this comment. Death has been the reality that has set in throughout all of what happened after Adam and Eve. They ate the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and what did God say would happen? You will surely die. You will die, die. And that's exactly what has happened. We're not surprised that Joseph died. Now, Genesis is about 0.06% of the Old Testament. Yet 10% of the times that this word is used to die or dying is found in the book of Genesis. A book marked with death, sorrow after the fall, the, the true effects of what happens in the fall that begins with life, God breathing life into this dirt and what ends to this life-filled dirt is dust. Is a book of promises and funerals filled with people of faith of God, but faith of God even to be found at the funeral. But the focus of this passage is not so much the ends of Joseph's life and Joseph's death, not even his last days or years of his life. But on this promise that he makes to his it makes his brothers make. It's a, again a similar promise that we see of that repetition of what happens to Jacob and now to Joseph. That Jacob made Joseph swear that you would carry him back to the land of promise and bury him there. And Joseph makes his brothers swear the same promise. So the center of this focus is not so much Joseph's life or death, but the bones of Joseph. In verse 24, Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to a land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Here, is the key of all the promises found in the book of Genesis. One sees the promise of God fulfilled, but they also know that there is some yet to be fulfilled. And Joseph, on his deathbed, makes his brothers promise that when God visits them, then to take his body to the promised land. Now again, it's interesting 
Joseph has lived 110 years. 93 of them are spent in the land of Egypt. Now, maybe you have never thought of this question. Maybe you were born around here. You, you most likely will die around this area. But I've had to ask the question, where would you bury my body? At what point do I say that my body should be buried here in the USA and not in America, in, in Australia? Where? Do you bury your body? A dark and depressing thoughts of a pastor, I guess, but a question that has come up. But Joseph here clearly has lived in Egypt, is raised his children in Egypt. His home, you would say, is in Egypt, but where would you bury his body? And he thinks of himself not at home in Egypt, but he thinks of himself at home in the promised land. And Joseph thinks of these promises God made to his great-grandfather, his grandfather and his father. And he knows that these promises are not finished yet. That God promised to Abraham this land, but they didn't own that land. And he said... That he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And this is the first time in the Bible that these three collectively are mentioned together. A repetitious phrase which goes throughout all of Scripture. Of the great patriarchs of these promise, of these men of faith who are promised this great land. That he still holds on to this promise that is to come. But he also sees another promise here. Not just that they would have this land, but that God would visit his people. This word is used one other time in the book of Genesis outside the Joseph story. That is Genesis 21. When the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. The time this, this word that God visits his people is used in, in the conjunction with the promise of God, that this promise was that God would give Abraham and Sarah a son in which whom all the nations would be blessed through this one son. And Joseph says on his deathbed, God has yet to fulfill his promise. God will visit you. God will visit and fulfill his promise. God will do what he has said he would do. And I'm sure as the children of, of Jacob would tell stories to his children and his children's children that were passed down of their grandfather Abraham of their great-grandfather Abraham, of their grandfather Isaac. I'm going to tell stories about great-granddaddy, that Abraham wasn't here. He wasn't from around here. And when God first appeared to him 
and told him of all these great promises. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to a land that I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. That you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and who, who, him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. These stories told of how granddaddy Abram traveled from a far distance with their uncle, great uncle Lot and Sarai. How these promises are passed down, not just to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. These promises are now your promises. And Joseph on his deathbed says, these promises have not yet been fulfilled. There's a land which is going to be yours one day. It's not here in Egypt. The promise spoken to Abraham as Lot separates from Abraham in in Genesis chapter 13. And God tells and speaks to Abraham once more and he says, Look, lift up your eyes and look to the place where you are, northward and southward, eastward and westward. For all that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I'll make your offspring as dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise and walk through the length and the breadth of the land that I give it to you. So Abraham moved his tent and came and sat in the yokes of Memre, which is at Hebron. He built an altar to the Lord. The promise given to Abraham is lift up your eyes, look eastward, westward, northward, southward. This is all what I'm going to give to you. Not only to you, but to you and your offspring forever. And as they hear this story, they say, where is this land? Well, it's not yet. They would hear the story about how their grandfather Isaac was born. How God provided for a son and then how then God provided for a ram as a sacrifice instead of the son. The inheritance is very small and meager. It's a small little title which says, This is our land which we bought. It's a graveyard. They would hear of this story of how God would give them this land that has not yet passed over. And would hear not just of these great promises about the great God who was with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob through many difficult a time. The God who was with them as Jacob went and lived with tricky Uncle Laban. And they would hear of all these great promises made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph understood that these promises, as he understood and he looked at these promises through faith. This assurance of the things that were hoped for. This conviction of things not yet seen. But I'm sure there was another story that was told of God speaking to his great-grandfather Abraham in Genesis 15, where God told Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and they will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years. 
But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. They don't own this land, but they're also living in a land that is not theirs. They're sojourners in the land of Egypt. And Joseph then sees that this promise is yet to be fulfilled as well. And Joseph tells his brothers that he wants to go home. He wants to go home to the promised land. He wants to be where those promises were made and where they will be kept. So Joseph on his deathbed turns to his brothers and says, I'm about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to a land which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry my bones up out of here. It is promised that God will visit you. That the promises of God are always about what God will do. And here the promise is that God will visit you. He will fulfill his promise of land and offspring. So that nations can be blessed. The author of Hebrews, as he looks back and writes of this occasion found in Genesis chapter 50, he says this, By faith, convictions of things not hoped for, assurance of things not yet seen. Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. The author of Hebrews tells us exactly what Joseph means when he says, God will visit you. He speaks of the story of Exodus. God saving his people for his glory. Now we know that Exodus comes after Genesis. We know the story. But Joseph here on his deathbed does not know what is coming in years to come. But it is by faith that Joseph knows of the promise of God and the promise of God yet not fulfilled. He does not know how the promise will come about. But Stephen makes it clear in his sermon in Acts chapter 7 that a promise was growing near. But as the time of the promise drew near, which God had granted to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt. Until there arose over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph. Stephen, looking back on this time, seeing the promise of God is is coming closer and closer. And and Joseph, although he's not able to see that promise in complete fullness, he's still able to speak of that promise to be fulfilled. We see that he, he speaks out of faith from this chapter. We see somewhat this promise fulfilled when the children of Israel who who made this promise to Joseph to fulfill this promise. The first half is in Exodus chapter 13. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. 
And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt, equipped for battle. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. That here the promise is fulfilled that the people of Israel saw God coming. That promise growing near. As Pharaoh has been defeated, as the people now wander, are sent out, let go by Pharaoh. Moses understands that Israel, the sons of Israel, solemnly swore this is what they would do. But the story of Joseph's bones don't end there. Joshua chapter 24. As the bones of Joseph with the people of Israel brought up from Egypt, and they buried them at Shechem, in a piece of land that Jacob brought, bought from the sons of Hamor, the, sons, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of money. It became an inheritance to descendants of Joseph. The promise is fulfilled in the burial of Joseph. Bury me, carry me to the promised land. But if we think this is merely just about the bones of Joseph, I think we miss the point. That the bones are not merely just physical bones. They speak of that symbol, that unfulfilled promise of God yet to be fulfilled. This not yet complete aspect. Not merely just looking for the exodus out of Egypt, but out of this estate of slavery, of sin and misery out of our perishable bodies. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, as he speaks about the resurrection from the dead. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. What is sown in dishonor is raised in glory. What is sown in weakness is raised in power. What is sown a natural body that is raised a spiritual body? And if there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, and the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural. And then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second, a man of heaven. And was the man of dust, so also are those who are of dust. And as the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have been born the image of man of dust, we shall also bear the image of man of heaven. That here the promise is not yet even fulfilled in that of being taken out and buried in Shechem. That death is not the end of the story. Exodus is not the end of the story. Just like Genesis is not the end, nor Exodus the end, but the promise is fulfilled when Christ returns. That is then the beginning of all eternity. That that great hall of faith as we've looked at, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah, Joseph, um, as Joseph dies, a man of faith. The author of Hebrews ends the chapter saying, all these though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. 
since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. The promise is not merely about the bones. The promise is about what Christ came to accomplish. The author of Hebrews then continues in chapter 12 and says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great cloud a witness, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And and Genesis is the story of the promise of God. The seed of the gospel found in Genesis 3.15 of the snake crusher to come. The one who is to come from the line of Abraham to descend from the line of Jacob and Isaac. This is the promise of Christ in the first stages of history. The covenant grace in seed form planted into the ground which we will see grow throughout the story of Israel. The branches will grow and be pruned. But we see throughout all of this that God is the maker of his promises and he's also the keeper of his promises. The promise made in Genesis 3 and kept throughout all the stages of Scripture through sinful men and women. 2 Peter chapter 3. Peter writes, they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all the things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they did deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of the water through the water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works and that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sorts of people ought to live their lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God? because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt away and burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for the new heavens and the new earth in which the righteousness dwells. Where is Christ in the fulfillment of the promise that Christ will return? A promise just like we find in Genesis. God fulfills his promise. He makes his promises. He keeps his promises. But he's not slow to fulfill his promises some count slowness. He is patient towards us. 
not wishing that any should perish, but all should reach that repentance. God's promises are made in time and kept in God's time. What a glorious thing we think of as we think of the story of Genesis. We look and turn the story of the promise yet to be fulfilled through Exodus, but also to be fulfilled in Christ, as even we read before in John chapter 19. The many of the scriptures which are fulfilled at Christ's death, all waiting for God to fulfill his promise in his time. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. O gracious and most merciful Father, we give you thanks and praise as we see of your promises laced throughout Scripture. That we see your promise of Christ who is coming to come to defeat sin and Satan and death. We thank you that we see the men and women of faith who died not yet seeing this promise, but saw it through faith. We pray, Lord, that we would be men and women of faith looking to Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. We would seek to be able to know that these promises are not slow, as some count slowness, but you accomplish them all in your time, that all might reach repentance. We pray that we would seek to trust in you, in all of these promises you've given to us. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. for His glory and His gospel.